I never want to walk in this place failing to believe that God has something for us. Despite how I might feel physically or mentally or emotionally, I never want to walk in this place and not believe that God has something he wants to say, that God has someone he wants to save, that God has something he wants us to do. But you know, it's easy for us to run from God. The devil always makes a way for us to run from God. The devil always makes a way for us to doubt God. Has God said? Do you really think God's going to come through? We all run from God, and, and we all disobey God. Every one of us in this room are guilty of disobeying God at some point. And if God loves us, and we are his children, and he does love us, and we are his children, if we know him, then when we run from him, he's going to discipline us. Right? I mean, that's what a good father does. A good father doesn't say, look, my kid just pulled down a whole rack of stuff at Walmart. Let's put it on Instagram. <laughs> no, take them outside and have a come to Jesus talk. That's what you do. You take them outside and you discipline them. Why? Because you want them to learn to behave correctly and you want them to respond. Here's what you want as a parent. You want your kids to respond to simple instructions, not to having to respond to only yelling. You want them to respond when you say, just go do that. I think God spoke in an audible voice to Jonah, but I think God didn't get the response he wanted from Jonah. It's all, in all likelihood, Jonah had never left his home country. Probably maybe never wandered far from his hometown. He, he was a, a guy who was doing his job. He was a prophet. He was a friend of the king. And all of a sudden, God says to him, Jonah, I need you to go get a passport. And I need you to go through customs Make sure what you carry, because TSA is going to check your bag. By the way, if you think your luggage gets checked here, you ought to go to Israel. Your luggage gets checked there. And you open it up, and they, they make you show you everything that's in there. And You know why? Because everybody's out to get them. And so they check. Why? Because they care about the safety of their people. That's why. God cared about Nineveh. Jonah didn't care about Nineveh. Go get a passport. And go on a mission trip. Now, it's likely that Jonah stayed there the rest of his life, but we don't know that for sure. So Jonah resists and rejects this call because he's making all the logical arguments. He, you know, God's a way maker. Well, God, there's no way for me to really go to Nineveh. Uh, that would be a difficult trip. You know, I don't have the money to do it. I don't have the time to do it. They're not my people. They speak a different language. I'd have to hire an interpreter. Uh, they have a different kind of culture. I mean, they're, they're pagans, and, and he just rejects the call. Now, let's just pick up and read it in chapter 1 and verse 3. But Jonah rose up early to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare and went down into it to go with them and Tarshish to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now you're going to see the word great uh, in the book of Jonah a couple of times. You're going to see it twice here early. Then there's a great fish coming. But right now the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea and there was a great storm on the sea and that the ship was about to break up. 
Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God. And they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, lain down, and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up. Call on your God. We're all calling on our gods. You call on your God. And perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity would struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, Tell us now on whose account has this calamity struck us. What is your occupation? Oh, don't you know he loves saying, I'm a prophet. I'm a preacher. I mean, he's on this boat. It's about to go down. What do you do for a living? I'm a preacher. I'm a prophet. God said go, and I left and didn't go do what he told me to do. I mean, you just imagine what's in, in between all these lines. Where do you come from? What is your country, and from what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. He didn't fear him enough to obey him. Uh, that was about a half truth. I fear the Lord. See, if we fear the Lord, and I'm not talking about fear, I'm talking about awe, respect. If we respect the Lord, we do what he tells us to do. We respond to him because we know what he tells us to do, he equips us to do, he provides for us in the moment, and he goes with us before us and after us. Verse 10, then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. There's a great commission, and Jonah runs from it. This is not in the Bible. It's just my sanctified imagination. I wonder if somehow in eternity, and I know there's no sorrow, no tears and all that, but I wonder if somehow in eternity God's going to show us what our city could have been if we had loved it like he loved it. I wonder if we're going to see the lost in hell who are suffering eternally because we didn't see them the way God saw them and it was easier for us to go around them, move from them, get away from them, ignore them than it was to engage them in a simple conversation. He determined to run. Now, Nineveh is east, Tarshish is west. To put it in perspective, Jonah had preached to Israel and they hadn't repented. He was the, typical of the prophets. They preached, they called God's people back to love the one true God. They might do it for a season. There were occasions when there were revivals and awakenings and reform in the nation of Israel. But the people of Israel are just like us. Left to themselves, they go backwards. Left to themselves, they don't do what God says. They're spotty. They're quick to forget. I mean, God's people are notoriously, since the wilderness, quick to forget. And when we forget, we start blaming God, making excuses for God. We start sinning and we start running. 
And so maybe Jonah thought, look, if God's people won't repent, hello, if God's people won't repent, who say they follow the one true God, what makes anybody think Nineveh's going to repent who's got all these gods? This is a waste of time. This is wasted effort. We're wasting our energies. We just need to, to be great here in our church, in our huddle, and we don't need to worry about the world because we have enough trouble with church members that we can't find. We have enough trouble with church members that are unfaithful, the church members that don't do what they're supposed to do. Why would we go out into a world because they've got all these gods and all these things they worship? Why would we waste our time going there? But God had a plan now, let me just propose something to you. This is Kat's opinion, and I really respect it. But let me just propose to you, because the people of God, the Jews, had turned from God and were rebellious and had their own idols, that maybe God had a plan to shift the center of gravity from Jerusalem to Nineveh. That he was going to start a fresh work with a new group of people that the Jews didn't believe God even cared about, that he was going to do a work with them that was going to change the world. You say, well, God would never shift. Oh, he's always shifting the center of gravity. That's what he did in the New Testament. Everything was contained in Jerusalem. God had to send persecution to the New Testament church to get them out of Jerusalem because they thought, hey, this is great. God's working and we're seeing people saved and the church was growing and they had all things in common, Acts chapter 2, but then it becomes persecution, they get sent out. And you go to Acts chapter 14 and Paul says, when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Now there was a point when the center of monotheistic faith, of the Jewish faith and of Christianity was in Jerusalem and in Israel. But it moved and then the center of gravity became Europe, Eastern Europe, Western Europe. And then it moved, and it went to America. And America, for several hundred years, was the center of gravity. At one point in 1952, England sent more money to missions and missionaries than any other nation in the world. We took over that. And we were the largest mission-sending nation in the world. But now, the center of gravity is shifting and has already shifted. It is hot in Korea. It is hot in Asia. It is hot in Iraq and Iran. And it is hot in South and Central America. But you see, Jonah obeyed to a point. And until we obey all in and just obey to a point, the center of gravity for the work of God is going to move. And one day we're going to wake up. We're already there. We just don't admit it. Half of us in this room have at some point said in our life multiple times, you know, I live in the Bible Belt. This is not the Bible Belt anymore, folks. We do not live in the Bible Belt. If we do, our belt fell off somewhere. <laughs> we are in a post-Christian America. 
the only part of America that could be considered pre-Christian would be the West. When we go to do refresh in the Northeast, it is a post-Christian world. Churches are no longer churches. They're now coffee shops, and some of them are bars, just like in England. Most of the churches in England have become coffee shops and apartment complexes and bars because nobody goes to church. The churches are empty. Church is not a part of the language. It's not a part of the culture. It's something that people did a long time ago, and the buildings are nice, and you can make a historical tour of it, but nobody's getting saved there. It's like the person that, that visited one of the churches in England and said, what is this church about? said, well, the queen, when she goes to church, she comes to church here. And the little old lady said, but has anybody been saved here lately? Doesn't matter where the queen goes to church. Has anybody been saved there lately? The center of gravity has moved. And God was trying to get Jonah to move with him as he was moving to convict the people of Nineveh of their sin. And Jonah said, they're not my kind. They're not my people. I don't like them. I just assume they all go to hell. That was Jonah's attitude. And so there's a refusal. His refusal was a presumption that he knew better than God. You see, anytime I refuse to do God's will, my presumption is, God, if you knew what I knew, you wouldn't ask me to do that. Because that's a, that's a waste of time. That's a waste of energy. That's a waste of energy in people. God may want them to be saved, but I don't want them to be saved. And I certainly don't want to be an answer to God's call, the question is, am I fleeing from the will of God today? Am I running from the will of God today? Jonah was deliberately choosing to rebel against God. Look at the verbs in verse 3. He rose up. He went down. He found a ship. He paid a fare. He went down. He was bound and determined to not do what God said. Here's what we do. This is our self-justification when God asks us to do something that we don't want to do. Well, if I don't do it, I know he'll find somebody who will. Can I tell you something? God's plan to use you is God's plan to use you. Period. It's not for you to dump your plan on somebody else who's trying to follow God's plan. Your plan is to do the plan of God for you, the will of God for you. And God doesn't let us dump it and say, well, if I just back away and I don't do it, I know, you know, if God really wants those people saved, he'll send somebody else. No, their blood will be on your hands. That's what the book of Ezekiel says. Their blood's on your hands. Their blood's on my hands. When God's looking for somebody, and when God calls somebody, he expects them to do what he calls them to do. And so he fled from the presence of the Lord. Does anybody really think you can flee from the presence of the Lord? I mean, really. I mean, this is a waste of time and energy in a bus fare. I mean, look at Psalm 139, verse 7. It's coming on the screen. Where can I go from your spirit? Oh, where can I hide or flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. I make my bed in Sheol. Behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn and if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. But Jonah made a calculated decision. I'm going to find some place that God's not there. The prodigal found out he's everywhere. I'm going to find some place where God's not there. He's everywhere. And by the way, he's got a witness everywhere. 
I've watched people run from God and run from church say, I'm going to go somewhere. Well, I don't have to be around church people, and I don't have to be around this. And they'll get on a plane and sit by somebody and say, hey, how you doing? And a guy on a plane will be reading his Bible. Man, what are you going to do, jump? (laughs) You see, in every situation, in every place, God's trying to show himself to us and how he uses us in the places where we are. Jonah didn't want that. He refused. He rejected. He rebelled. He had no interest in doing the will of God. Now, just use your imagination with this guy because he's more like us than we want to admit. He was trying to bargain with God. Here's what we do. The Baptists are the best at this. Lord, I'll serve in this area if you won't ask me to serve in that area. Lord, if you'll answer my prayers, I'll do this for you. We're trying to bargain and negotiate with God. We're trying to see what little we can do, but not do all that he tells us to do, even if it's a little thing. It, it is interesting, Wiersbe is correct in saying that in this short book, it took longer to prepare Jonah to get him to obey than it took for the entire city to repent. Folks, listen, God's been working on some of us for decades to just do what he tells us to do. And then we look around and say, you know, a lot of lost people here, you know, somebody ought to be baptizing more people. We ought to be baptizing more people. We ought to be doing this more. We ought to be doing more of this. We ought to be helping people. We ought to be using the Hope Center more. We ought to be having more people. We ought to be doing this. What did God tell you to do to make that happen? What's your role? Who's your one? Well, I know some people that you ought to... I'm going to give their names to the staff. Who'd God tell you to talk to? You see, God is longing for his people to just do what he says. He's a way maker. I don't want to go that way. He's a miracle worker. I don't want to go through what I have to go through to have a miracle. He's a promise keeper. I don't want to be put in a position where I have to believe the promises of God. I just want to live on my own terms. There are a lot of people that are in churches today that that's the way they live. They never get to the point of surrender. God chose Jonah. He called Jonah. He controlled the ships. He controlled the waves, the wind, the sailors, the response, even the fish. God's plan for our lives is good. It doesn't mean that it will be without adversity. That's a best-selling book, but it's not the Bible. Following God does not mean that our lives are without adversity, but we should never find ourselves in trouble because we refused to obey God. If I'm going to get in trouble, I I want it to be because I'm in the center of the will of God, not because I'm running from God. Adversity shouldn't come to me because I'm refusing to obey God. So maybe God's not calling you to missions. And and you're all going, oh, thank God. Thank God he's not calling me to missions. Thank thank God he's not calling me to do that. But maybe he's calling you to give your life to him and quit hiding behind your church membership. Maybe he's calling you to evaluate if you're really saved. Maybe he's calling you to evaluate if you're really willing to obey whatever God says to you. Maybe he's calling you to forgive somebody that you do not want to forgive. 
Maybe he's calling you to repent of something that you keep going back to over and over and over again. It's where the devil hooks you every time. Maybe he's calling you to serve. You say, well, I served one time. I, was, I bet I served six weeks one time. I, I did something one time. But, you know, Brother Ken, I served at Freedom Festival. Don't ask me to serve anymore. It was hot. It rained. Lightning came up. I, I did my duty for Jesus. I got out of there alive. I did my duty for Jesus. I said, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll never do it again. And they mean never do anything again. I'll serve, I'll give, I'll teach. I'll do whatever God tells me to do. Maybe you're just running from the call of God. Are you on the path of obedience or are you on the road of resistance? God's call and commission is not general. It is specific. The Lord wasn't vague. Cry out against Jonah didn't have to ask, well, what do I do when I get there? Cry out against. The command is an imperative to go. Now, I've said this since I was in youth ministry, so this is a 40-plus-year-old statement of my ministry. God never reveals his will to you for you to consider it. He reveals his will to you for you to obey it. God does not reveal his will to us for us to go, well, Lord, let me get, let me get back with you on that. I, I, that's, I don't know. That's a little out of my comfort zone. That stretches me a little bit. As if God doesn't know our makeup. As if God doesn't know our strengths and our weaknesses. As if God doesn't know our personality. As if God doesn't know our fears. So, Lord, let me, let me just get back to you. You know why churches vote on things? Mostly because they don't want to follow the will of God. Because you see churches vote, and they'll vote, you know, this to this, or this to this, you know, and they'll have to, okay, all the eyes, eh, all the nays, uh, you know, the nays, always are, the nays always are louder, which says something about the nays. But, uh, you know, I, I, I know of a guy that went to pastor a church on a 52% vote. Now, he was crazy, and they were crazy. I wouldn't lead a people. The 52, already 48% of them didn't want him. I mean, before he ever said, would you open your Bibles? 48% said, we don't want you. Of course, they wouldn't want Jesus, Paul, or Peter either. They, you know, if, if the Apostle Paul showed back up in that church and said, hi, I'm here, and I'm a, I'd like a candidate to be your pastor, well, you've got a prison record. You've been thrown out of several cities that you've been in. I, I, I hear they ran you out of town multiple times. I, I don't think you can do it. Peter show up and say, hey, you know, I, I'd like to be the pastor of this church. Well, you know, somebody from your former church called us. <laughs> they sure did. And they told us that when Jesus needed you the most, you denied him three times. I just could never let a man like you be my pastor. Thomas shows up. Well, I doubt if Thomas is supposed to be the pastor of the church. He's full of doubts himself. You see, God calls and he gives us a call and he gives us an imperative. And sometimes we find ourselves saying, I just don't want to do that. 
Hey, that's our flesh. That's normal. We have to die to that. I don't want to do that. We start speaking about safety instead of taking a step of faith. We start making excuses and we start trying to change the subject. It's hard for us to imagine that God loves this whole world because it's sick and it's sinful. Truth of the matter is, when we really get honest, just us alone, we'd like God just to wipe them all out so we didn't have to deal with them. And that's not Jesus. And that's not the church. There's a great consequence. Nothing went right for Jonah after he started running. Have you ever noticed nothing goes right? I know people that people get mad at the preacher. I know that, that shocks you that people do. But people, listen, I've helped 20 churches in this town grow through the years. People get mad at the preacher and they leave. Guess what? They go to the next church, they get mad at him too. They go to another one, they get mad at him too. Or people leave a church and say, I'm just not going to forgive. I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to leave. And you know what they do? They go to the next church and they say, I finally found a place where I'm happy. Why did they find a place where they're happy? They found somebody to listen to their negativity. Because negative people like to swarm. I mean, they just like to get in huddles and just... But if you're walking with God, you may walk alone. Or you'll walk with a small group. I mean, God came to earth and only got 12 to follow him, and one of them was a loser. Nothing was going right. Broken fellowship. Remember the last message? He went down. Verse 3. He paid the fare. I love this quote by Donald Gray Barnhouse. It is always that way. When you run away from the Lord, you never get to where you're going, and you always pay your own way. On the other hand, when the Lord, you go the Lord's way, you always get to where you're going, and he pays the fare. Verse 3, but Jonah. Verse 4, the Lord. God is not going to sit back and let us sin willfully and ignore his will. He's patient. He's gracious. He's kind. But he expects us to fulfill the Great Commission. And there are consequences when we don't. Jonah was more willing to trust his life to pagan sailors than he was to trust God. Jimmy Draper said, anytime we want to run away from God's will, Satan will always furnish the transportation. He doesn't even have to go contrary to our wills. He just fulfills our desires. Satan is happy to lead us along. You can run, but you can't hide. The Lord hurled a great wind. That's the same word, hurled, in 1 Samuel 18, 11, when Saul hurled the spear at David to try to destroy the next king. Jonah knew where he was supposed to go, what he was supposed to do, but he just didn't want to do it. Now, just think about this for a minute. Let me just kind of get to the sailors. It's hard for us to get people to pray, and we would be called a praying church. People call us a praying church. It's hard to get people to pray. But I want to tell you something. Even pagans pray when they're in trouble. Now, why is it? Why is it? That God has to send trouble our way to get us to pray. When pagans pray, 
Listen, there were lost people praying on 9-11. There are people that are lost, don't go to church, they don't do anything, but they pray for the safety of their kids that are in the military. But who are they praying to? Who are they praying to? Their idea of who God is. Their idea of what God is like. But Jonah wasn't praying. Warren Wiersbe said, when God sent the storm, God was not speaking to him through his word. He was speaking to him through his works. The sea, the wind, the rain, the thunder, and even the great fish. Nature obeyed God, and Jonah didn't. Verse 5, every man cried to his God. The pagans were praying. Jonah wasn't praying. Notice, notice, we're, we're close. Jonah was asleep. There's a storm raging. I mean, it's breaking loose everywhere. They all think they're going to die. Jonah. You know why he was asleep? He was at peace with himself by, on his saying no to God. Jonah's God was Jonah. I feel good about myself on this boat, going down, paying the fare. I feel good about myself. God's, you know, I'm just going to lay down here and take a nap. Pagans are praying, and the guy that's supposed to be telling the pagans about Jesus is sound asleep. That's the church today. America is going to hell as fast as it can possibly go, and we just want to make sure we get out on time. And we just want to make sure that, that we get our quarterlies and our open windows, and we, that we've got our teachers in our room, and, and we never think about waking up to the world in which we live. And so we drive into church, and we drive with blinders on, and we don't look at the city in which we live. And we don't ever say to ourselves, God, maybe this is our Nineveh. And maybe we need to be a part of the answer to the problem instead of always complaining about the problem. The devil will always let you complain about the problem, but God will always send you to deal with the problem. Every man cried to his own God. Jonah was asleep. The captain rebuked him and said, get up. And call on your God. Hugh Martin was a preacher of another generation. And he preached a sermon on this text called The World Rebuking the Church. And he concluded that Jonah deserved the rebuke. And to a great extent, the church today deserves it. Jonah is not bringing the resources of his faith to bear on the suffering of his fellow citizens. He is not telling them how to get a relationship with the God of the universe. Tim Keller said, what is the captain rebuking Jonah for? It is because he has no interest in their common good. He has no interest in their common good. So what did God do to get his attention? He sent a storm, he sent a fish, later on he's going to send a worm, which means big or small, God can find ways to get your attention. But ultimately a city was saved. We're going to see that next week. Ultimately... The city was saved, spared from judgment, spared from judgment. 
What will God have to send to us to get us to obey? There will always be a ship that will take you where God doesn't want you to go. The devil will see to it. But don't think for a moment that rebelling against the will of God in our lives will not have consequences on our lives, our children, our grandchildren, our city, our region, this nation. Because we have been left here for a reason. One of our members sent me a Manly Beasley quote this morning. And before we pray, I'm going to read it. Manly said, When you get right with God, you will have to backslide to keep from winning souls. When you get right with God, you will have to backslide to keep from winning souls. In other words, when you get right with God, it will be in your DNA to tell people about Jesus. You just want people to know Jesus. Hey, listen. If you had the cure for cancer, would you keep it to yourself? I mean, would you? Ask a question. If you had the cure for cancer, would you keep it to yourself? If you had the solution to the opioid addiction in America, would you keep it to yourself? If you had the solution for finding kids in gangs to find the love of a father, if you had the way to fix that, would you keep it to yourself? So why is it we have the solution to eternal life and we don't talk about it? We run from it. But we can't hide from the fact that God has placed us in the world to lead people out of this world so that we can go back into the world to tell people how to get out of this world so that they can go into the world to get out of this world because this world is not our home. We're passing through. Would you pray with me? So what's God saying? What's God telling you to do? Where, where is it that God is speaking in your life and telling you something specific to do? It, it may be that you need to be saved today. And we've got a next steps desk out there that because of time, I want to encourage you to go there to tell somebody, I need to have a relationship with Christ. I, I don't even know what that means, but I need a relationship with Christ. But some of us, need to go to our connect groups and some of our connect groups need to kind of put the quarterly aside this morning and there just needs to be some overall repenting of oh, this group is just about us we got people that are on our role that have been on our roles for years and we don't even talk to them we don't find out where they are we don't know what's going on in their life it'd be easier just to drop them we need to repent of that some of us need to have an honest testimony that we're running from the will of God. Hey, folks, God works among honest people, and honesty sometimes gets tough, but he works among honest people who are honest with him and honest with others. And God wants us to say yes. Now, Lord, what is it you want me to do? Yes. What do you want me to do? 
Father, let these truths linger in our hearts. Let us not walk away from here accepting some information that's been given. But may we walk out of here in just a few moments thoroughly convinced that you have a call on each of us to do good, to show justice, to love mercy, to share the gospel, to love the lost and the least, to care for the one that's in the ditch that everybody else keeps passing by. God, give us your heart, your mind. May we walk in your will. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.